the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm said Mr. Black. There's a lot of ifs and buts attached to all stock market rallies. Possibilities are endless in an unpredictable world. If the stock market got hung up on all the uncertainty, that was part of 2017, we would have had a really, really bad year. As it happens, the stock market climbed to the proverbial wall of worry, which we have every year. It quickly regrouped on any slide that happened, supported by fundamental underpinnings that included low interest rates and a healthy job market, as well as solid earnings, no inflation. Those are all things that if we had inflation, bad earnings, higher interest rates, we would have had a bad year. Those are all the fundamental support structures. When you see a building go up, you see the pillars. Those are the pillars. What will happen next year? There'll be a wall of uncertainty. There'll be a wall of worry. Things might be different if China, can they curtail the speculation that is what will happen in North Korea? Can they help us figure out their financial system better? Will Saudi Arabia aim to increase its influence over the Middle Eastern affairs? Will Apple slip? Will Amazon, Netflix, Google, or Facebook come back to earth and underperform? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, what a party would have. A pullback would be a good thing, would be a healthy thing, would be a normal thing. The New England Patriots playing the Miami Dolphins. You gotta have some you gotta have some clunkers. Being perfect, like you've seen, I think the Patriots one year were perfect in the regular season and lost in the playoffs. Being perfect is not a good thing. It's a very stressful thing. The markets have been perfect for a long period of time. The Federal Reserve is meeting today, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in the coming days on how that's going to play out on Wall Street. The markets edged a little higher at the open. Boeing shares hit a record high of 292. The company said it would raise its quarterly dividend by 20% and replace its existing share buyback with a new one of $18 billion. They're flying high, literally, right? J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs gained 1% lifting financial stocks ahead of the Federal Reserve. The banks are the big winners. The Federal Reserve raises interest rates. Investors are watching this and, and for future ideas on, federal, on rate hikes. It's an interesting economic outlook right now. There's a lot of data going on on tied towards an improving economy. There's some hesitation tied towards the Federal Reserve if they raise interest rates too much. There's going to be a change in leadership there. Fox and Disney are on a path for an announcement of an all-stock deal. That'll probably happen by the end of this week. That's an interesting one. Disney acquiring a large piece of 21st Century Fox. Rupert Murdoch, billionaire, mogul, media mogul. Um, he's been pretty good at dating models, not business models, fashion models. 
He grew legendary Hollywood properties. He's taken them to new levels. Comcast is out. They're like, we don't want to bid for Fox assets. Disney does. Fox um, have a movie and TV studio. Networks include FX, National Geographic. International assets include Star India's TV channels and a 39% stake in the European satellite provider Sky PLC. If you've never been to Europe, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And you'd be like, oh, I don't know what Let's just say they've got media everywhere but China. Disney's going to get a stake in the streaming service Hulu, and that's going to double their ownership to 60%. Whoa. Whoa. 21st Century Fox is going to keep Fox News, Fox Broadcast Network, and Fox Sports 1. This is all about, do you remember earlier in 2017? Disney basically told Netflix, we're pulling our Pixar films, and we may pull our Marvel films, because they're going to start their own streaming service. And to be valued as a streaming service, Apple has to do this too. There's a thought, and listen to this, and tell me if I'm crazy like a fox, or is this connecting the dots intelligently? Apple's charging $1,000 for its phone right now. What if they were to charge, and you can get a new one every year if you sign up on their subscription plan. And that subscription plan is like $55 a month. So after the end of the year, you've put in $600, right? What if they say, we'll give you an iPad or an iPhone 10 and a ton of content like Netflix for $65 a month? Oh my God, no way. And you get a new phone next year. Do you think Apple's going to go to a subscription service? They already are. Wake up. So Comcast, Verizon, and Sony. Verizon yesterday announced an NFL deal. They all, Verizon, Comcast, and Sony, all looked into acquiring the holdings. Fox Studio would give Disney the rights to popular characters like X-Men and Simpsons and could let the company cut costs by combining two giant Hollywood operations. The SkyTake would give Disney 22.5 million customers in five countries in Europe with leading advertising technology, and Disney would likely look to self-control of the satellite system. Assuming Disney acquires the Fox assets, in a stock-based deal, Fox shareholders would end up with 25% of Disney. A lot of speculation right now that Rupert Murdoch's son, Lakeland and James, um, James would probably be a successor to Bob Iger at Disney. It's kind of making some sense. The question I have... If our government has a problem with Time Warner, no, 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 not Time Warner, with AT&T acquiring Time Warner, yeah, that's what I meant, won't they have a problem with this one? I would imagine so. Anyhow, and anyway, that's one of the big stories right now that's going to happen this week. Other big story of the week, um, Apple buying music recognition app Shazam. Shazam! Shazam is a nifty song detecting technology. At one point in time, you used to dial 2580 on your phone and then hold your phone up to the music that you're hearing and it would come back and tell you what you heard. Shazam's an ad-supported app. It launched on the App Store back in 2008. It started making money from music referrals. I could see a day where Apple, where you listen to a Shazam play and it pushes you the song and it says, hey, subscribe to Apple Music. Subscribe. 
subscriptions. Oh, information such as what music customers search for, what they're buying, their historic music preferences, very, very valuable in the knowledge base for Apple. They have exciting plans in store. Um, it's more data, right? Snap, which has a Shazam feature integrated into its camera app, declined to comment. Spotify, which pays Shazam a referral fee every time a listener is directed from Shazam to the Spotify app, did not immediately respond. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. You want to hear creepy or do you want to hear kooky? I got them both. Netflix sent on a tweet. It said, to the 53 people who've watched A Christmas Prince every day for the past 18 days, who hurt you? It was a snarky tweet. Um, Big Brother. As I get older, I don't understand like why we volunteer so much information to be followed and, and watched. And am I ever in the privacy of my own home? Not anymore. Netflix produced and promoted the movie, and in being unapologetically cheery Hallmark Christmassy, they're saying, awesome job. On a level, though, they're also shaming their subscribers, even in jest, for watching a feel-good film. It's almost bullying. It's almost bullying when you say to the 53, congrats. It's just, we're not in touch with social media. Social media is not in touch with politically correct. Netflix, uh, Spotify made the same mistake last year. They had a campaign that outed a single user. They, they, they sent out, dear person who made a playlist called One Night Stand with Jeb Bush, like he's a Bond girl in a European casino, we have so many questions. Not cool to use information that you gather on your customers against them. People really need to become more cognizant of what data companies are collecting our Congress will figure it out 10 years too late. With that said, let's talk cryptocurrencies with CFP Chad Burton. The amount of Facebook posts that I see and live Facebook videos and Instagram ads of people that are getting into cryptocurrency, it, it, I will say it's here to stay. And I already said several shows ago that it could go to 20,000 before something really bad happens. We almost got there already. But People are getting sucked into it. They're investing in cryptocurrency before they've ever built a base of their portfolio, maxed out their 401k, even funded a Roth, and they're buying the stuff and they don't even know why. And I have a real issue with supporting the value of something that hackers and pedophiles and drug dealers use to hide money. I'm, I'm starting to have more and more of an issue with it. With that said... You have to separate blockchain from the cryptocurrency itself. And the other uses, especially Ethereum, that has other major uses out there. So um, I don't personally own it. Do I wish I would have owned it? Yeah. I mean, it's had just this huge, huge rally. And people talk about the tulip bulb things where tulip bulbs went through the moon and then you know everybody lost money on it. It's not the same thing. The same thing happened with the internet. Remember that? Look at all those companies that were created 
when the internet first really came around in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And all these companies that were created and went to the moon with zero revenue. Anything.com IPO'd and went to the moon, but zero profits. So you you often have these these radical events of new technology, of new something that changes everything and massive rallies and massive crashes. Cryptocurrencies have crashed a ton of times already since 2013. And most new things go through that type of a cycle. So it's never going to go away. I'm not sure how it's going to react here. Um, It's really right now, it's your speculation money. If you already have built a portfolio, you've got a you know 401k, you're you're getting the match, you're doing a Roth IRA, and you've you've created some money, and you're like, okay, I've got some speculation money. I've got the it's the same money that I would take to Vegas if I was going on a trip, and I liked gambling. That's kind of where you're at now, it, and it's just it's real. The technology is amazing with blockchain; it's going to revolutionize the financial and insurance industry, for example. But People are buying it, and they don't know why or what it's for. And that's the scary part about it. It just, like, disgusts me when I see the posts of other people sucking other people in on Facebook, and they don't even know why. Just just saying, just watch me. I'm going to become rich because of this. That's when you get a little bit suspicious of it, right? Um, With that said, people have made millions on it already. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. As you can tell, I kind of am all over the place. I do want to talk about robots at some point, hopefully today, and robots taking our jobs. There's an amazing article, an amazing article at the New York Times, and you know, ultimately you may have to subscribe to get it, or maybe you can just find it. It's called, Will Robots Take Our Children's Jobs? And it's a good question. I've got two sons, and I'm obsessed with robots. I loved R2-D2 as a kid. But R2-D2 took a co-pilot's job away. I see what happens. Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, they're all freaking out right now about the rise of the invincible machines. Yes, robots have the potential to outsmart us and destroy the human race. But first, artificial intelligence could make countless professions obsolete, and, and, and we might want to die. If we don't have a job, what do we even have? Our government paying us? Universal income? Could happen. I have a dream of sending my kid off to college to become a doctor or a radiologist. Radiologists earn up to $500,000 a year. But that job's suddenly looking iffy as artificial intelligence gets better at reading scans. There's a startup called Arteris. To cite just one example, it already has a program that can perform a magnetic resonant image analysis of blood flow through the heart in just 15 seconds. That's 45 minutes for a human. You know, there's a, uh, a robot company that does the da Vinci system that can do heart surgery better than a surgeon can. Software programs are already being used by companies like J.P. Morgan to scan legal papers and predict what documents are relevant, saving lots of billable hours from attorneys. There's other glamour jobs like airline pilots. What do you think is happening there? There's a robotic co-pilot that was developed by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, also known as DARPA, that flew and landed a simulated 737. Who would I rather have flying the plane, a robot or a human? Remember a couple years ago, a couple pilots show up drunk? I'm not paranoid about this. I'm not worried. One of the best things you could do 
might be a philosophy degree and a computer science degree. Two degrees. Because the robot's never going to have a heart. He's never going to have a soul. Are robots going to take our jobs? Uh-huh. What are we left with? Hopefully a heart and soul. A brain and some courage, like the Wizard of Oz. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com. Wrapping up 2017, essentially. Month of December does, and uh, we start looking at 2018. Let's talk a little bit about 2017, Mr. O'Hare. As market analyst at briefing.com, no one saw this coming. It was a great year for stocks, and we had a president that we didn't know how presidential he was going to be. We didn't know how the market was going to respond. We didn't know how the economy was going to respond, and everything's kind of okay. We have jobs. We have an economy. Economy helps the stock market. It's been a pretty good year. Are you surprised by that as much as I am? Uh, you know, I'm surprised maybe at the extent of the gains. Not surprised that the fact that the market is up in 2017. Okay. I, I think you pretty much hit on it, Rob. I mean, you, uh, we can kind of set aside all the noise around politics and everything else, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the enduring factors throughout 2017 have been low interest rates, low inflation, and good earnings growth. And when you have that triumvirate working for you, that's a nice fundamental basis for, for, for gains. And, uh, and you're seeing investors respond accordingly and the market respond accordingly to that, uh, to that nice foundation there. It's good to know that we're on the same page. I think one of the big stories of 2017, as I start thinking about it again, is tax reform. Um, I can give you a couple quick examples. Uh, I saw Warren Buffett on TV, and they said, are you a buyer or seller of the stock market right now? He goes, I'm waiting to see what happens with tax reform. I have friends who own Apple Computer or Apple shares, and they're like, what, the, like, what should I do? I said, well, the 10 is going to be a great product, and that should help drive momentum. But really, you should wait for tax reform because the 20% tax rate versus 35 for Apple and repatriation, you may leave 25 to 30% on the table just on that alone. Tax reform, big part of this year. Now that we're kind of seeing it, should we say, we bought the rumor. Should we sell the news? What are your thoughts on tax reform going into 2018? Well, I don't think that you know tax reform is fully baked into the market because I don't think you've seen okay. uh, earnings estimate revisions uh, account for the potential for a low tax rate, and that's really based in large part on the fact that we don't know what that final you know tax bill is going to look like. You know, there's some good ideas around it, but. No one's really uh, uh, doing anything more than penciling in some numbers, but no one's writing anything in ink right now. Uh, so to the extent that you get what everyone does think and you get a 20% tax rate and you get that you know, lower repatriation tax rate, I think you start seeing earnings estimates, uh, consensus earnings estimates for 2018 move up. And due to that, you've got a market that can sort of rationalize further multiple expansion because it's going to be starting from a lower base, if you will, when it accounts for those higher earnings growth estimates. And so long as uh, interest rates remain low, inflation remains low, and earnings growth remains strong, uh, again, you have the basis for a market that has the, the capability. 
ability to trend higher. Um, now, I don't really know uh, and haven't predicted, you know, a, a quote year-end number for 2018. I'm I'm not really caught up in that particular um, forecasting game. Uh, what we do, though, is we simply assess those fundamental factors that are supportive for equity valuations and provide some directional insight as to where the market's likely to head based on those factors. And so, again, right now you have low interest rates, low inflation, strong earnings growth, and it looks as if you're also seeing, you know, pick up an economic growth globally, and that all bodes well for the market uh, before you even get into the fact that if you get this corporate tax rate and the lower repatriation tax rate, that's going to be quite a benefit for multinational corporations, and it's going to ultimately help boost their earnings as well as their cash flow, which really is the you know the fuel that helps drive dividend increases and share buybacks, and that's something that shareholders, uh, which I think you alluded to it the opening of this question is that's something shareholders can hang on to here, knowing that there's a basis for further upside if that comes to fruition. Once again, looking at 2018, we are living in 2017 in the world of the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates and it looks that are on the path to do it again based on a pretty good economy with pretty good jobs. We probably want a little more wage in the perfect world. Um, I have an economist friend who 20 years ago told me, the Federal Reserve has caused every major recession in the United States. And I don't know if that to be true or not, but raising the cost of money certainly can slow down the greased wheels of the economy. Um, do you think the Fed causes recessions? And do you think there, we're on the path? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't, you know, I think, I think you can make an argument that the Fed is a contributor to those recessions because they, you know, they're typically raising interest rates out of uh, out of a, a period of stronger growth, and they're trying to live up to that dual mandate of you know stable prices and and full employment, and so they they raise rates accordingly. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, you know, you get to an inflection point where it's just becomes too much, and loan demand goes down, and and uh, and you see contractions in credit, and and just lower consumer spending, and 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 so on and so forth, and so they're contributing factor. I don't think the, the Fed itself is is you know the single factor in it. There's always you know more in play. Um, so, uh, but but you know, in speaking of the Fed here, I do think as we do review through 2017, I think you got to give the Fed some credit here uh, with respect to its communications policy. Right, they've gotten a lot of flack over the years, and understandably so. But if you take into account that the the stock market is at record highs this year, while the Fed has raised interest rates um, a few times and soon to be a third time here, um, it, it does underscore that the Fed has guided the market properly in terms of what it's going to do as far as a gradual rate increase. And, and that's been a good thing here, and the market has been tolerant of that because uh, it's been accepting of the Fed's view because you, you have concurrently – you know, improving economic growth with low inflation, and that's a good good backdrop as we continue to discuss in this in this interview. But uh, so that's going to be a key thing to watch in 2018 is is how the Fed reacts to uh, incoming data that could be stronger than expected, and particularly the inflation data. If you see inflation pick up, you know, uh, above the Fed's uh, target rate of two percent. You know, will that prompt the Fed to get more aggressive than than some people think it should? And what does that do to to the ultimate 
economic outlook. So it's a key factor here in 2018. Um, but for 2017, the Fed has not gotten in the market's way, if you will. Uh, and that's clear to see in the fact that the major industries have all established new record highs while the Fed has been raising interest rates. Hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, anything in 2018 that you're predicting? Uh, anything kind of trying to put a bow on looking at the big picture, so to speak, of 2018, which, for the yeah. record, you do write an article for Briefing.com called The Big Picture. I do, and uh, in this past week, I did update, you know, our, our market view, if you will. Uh, it, you know, it's not a market view that's going to give you a price target, um, uh, and it, it admittedly suggests that, you know, no one can accurately predict the future, right? So you can only make your best educated guess, and, you know, we continue to think, based on what we see in these fundamental factors of interest rates, inflation, and earnings, uh, that the, the, the elements are in place for another positive year for the stock market, and we'll be assessing it as we go along. But if we continue to see uh, the pick, uh, pick up in economic growth, um, then you should see, I think, a continued rotation into some of those value plays where the potential for upside earnings surprises is stronger than it might be for some of these, um, you know, widely loved growth stocks that have, have led the market in 2017. So something to be on the lookout for there. And, and of course, if you have a lot of pundits out there that are suggesting you're going to see really, you know, somewhat low if very modest price returns. And I think that, you know, that ultimately could benefit, you know, total return strategies. Uh, so would not, you know, disavow oneself of those uh, very quality dividend-paying companies if you're going to be stuck in a, in a potentially low-return environment. I've never asked your opinion on Bitcoin. I don't know if you're knowledgeable enough. I assume you've got a thought on it or two. Um, it's in the news everywhere. It's as a financial media guy who works in television and radio, it's in the news everywhere. As a financial guy, I'm like, just ignore it. It's not a real product. It's kind of an alternative to gold. And then I'm like, ooh, it's kind of an alternative to gold. I don't like gold, but it's a trillion-dollar market. Gold is six trillion-dollar market. Um, should we be paying attention to Bitcoin? Should, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I guess, you know, Bitcoin can be labeled a store of value until it collapses, right? <laughs> and okay. so That's fair. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I honestly don't have a really strong feeling about Bitcoin other than it certainly has the elements of, of, of that, you know, bubble up trading atmosphere. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Uh, everyone's clamoring to open up an account at Coinbase to trade it. Uh, and, uh, but there's, there's really nothing underlying it, frankly. <laughs> so the, the blockchain technology, as everyone does rightly allude to, will have some uh, some real applications uh, in coming years. But in terms of the, the cryptocurrencies themselves, uh, they certainly have a casino-esque type feel to them. And, um, and I'm kind of personally staying away from it myself and just watching from the sidelines uh, with some amusement because it does remind me of the, uh, the old good old dot-com days. Sounds good, sir. Have a nice day. Thanks for your help. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. He is a treasure trove of information and insight. And we don't pre-plan these bits. He goes with the flow beautifully. Briefing.com. Check him out for international national market news. Um, great contributor to the financial information. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So, this is U2. This is Bono. It's their 14th studio album. It's a pretty good song. 
in my opinion. It's interesting because Bono made a decision sometime in the last five years. He got cancer. No one really knows what happened. <clears throat> he hasn't talked about it. But he wanted to write an album for his kids, for his family, for his loved ones. The album's produced by Steve Lillywhite, who is unbelievable as a production producer goes. You um, 2 hires the best people to work with. There's a business lesson there. But he also took the time to say, you're the best thing about me. And pain in your face doesn't show. When you look so good and baby, you don't even know. Oh, you've seen enough to know it's children who teach. You're still enough to wake up on a bed or a beach. Pretty good stuff. Why am I? Why am I walking away? Walking away? Why am I walking away? He wrote an album, Songs of Experience, where he wants to tell his kids and his wife and the bandmates, you're the best thing about me. Every song has personal meaning to him, and he's never done that because he doesn't like that. He's always had bigger lyrics, bigger verses. The Edge writes all the music, and then he writes the words to it. The song has a drive before he figures it out. They're best friends, which is another business lesson. The Rolling Stones lead singers hate each other. The Beatles lead singers hated each other. Lennon McCartney, they had different styles. These guys work together, and sometimes in life you need to work together. Sometimes you need to stop and say, I appreciate you. Good business lessons. You could build an empire and then divorce and split it. This is their 14th album. That's crazy. The song, he refers to it as a defiant joy. Something that he and The Edge said was more important than ever in difficult times in which we're living. I kind of agree with that. The song was one of several from the album for which Bono wrote lyrics to his friends and family. He had a major scare when he wasn't really sure he'd be around much longer. Bono said he had, you know, the lyrics come to him in a dream. That he had destroyed something that's most important to him, his relationship with his wife. The Edge described you the best thing about me as a love song, but with another layer as it raises a cosmic question. Why, when everything is perfect, do we have a tendency to mess it up? It's a great question. The joke is, why do you write a love song when the world's on fire? And that's exactly what you do. With that said, congratulations to you two for putting on a 14th studio album. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, and sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. I talked earlier about what you do in your 20s. Here's what you do in your 30s. Your 20s are all about finding yourself and making some mistakes. Your 30s are about fixing the car, getting it on the road, just getting it right. You want to advance your career. In your 20s, you're developing a marketing skill. In your 30s, you're delivering it. It's time to apply it. Don't wait till your 40s. In your 30s, you want to start rethinking your budget. 
in your 20s, it's, it is important to travel. It is important to go to New York. It is important to go to Miami. I flew a girlfriend to Miami once because um, I wanted to see the Art Deco hotels. I wanted to see the glamour that is Miami on television. It's not that glamorous. It's okay. It's nice. It's not great. I wanted to fly to New York to see a Broadway show because Broadway shows look cool. I hate Broadway shows. They're overrated. I'm having a bad day. Meow, 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 meow. Cats is probably the dumbest Broadway show of all time. Midnight. And the kitty cats are all sleeping. Like, do we need that? No. So you want to rethink your budget in your 30s. You need to cut spending in some areas to reallocate money elsewhere. When your 20s, you're saving 5% of your 401k. In your 30s, you're doing 15%. And when your 20s, you're trying to figure out your emergency fund. In your 30s, you've got it mastered. In your 30s, it's now time to start thinking about readjusting your how you approach insurance. In your 20s, you have renter's insurance. Hopefully, in your 30s, you have homeowner's insurance. Hopefully, you say, you know, I'm making $50,000 a year. My, my spouse, if I die, that goes away. How can I help so you go 50000 times $500,000 of life insurance in term life. All the other life insurance, whole life and variable life is crap. It's garbage. In your 30s, you better pay off your non-mortgage debt. You made a mistake with debt, credit card debt in your 20s? Stop it. Save 15% minimum. Start diversifying how you invest. Don't go, real estate's the only thing. Investing's the only thing. Bitcoin's the only thing. Get a blend going. In your 30s, watch your credit. Improve it, because you're going to buy a house. And having an 800 score is way better than a 700 score when you get in a mortgage rate. In your 30s, write your will. Tell people that you love them. From songs of experience, the world's on fire. Love people. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Covet your life. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Money investing and more. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.